Ron and Anian. I've got the Ray boys. I've got I've got two guys in front of me. One's a Giants jersey, one's a Jets jersey. And in between during the show, they're knocking each other around. And uh, oh, it just, where's my Tony when I need him? Everybody's working for the weekend. Car Doctor. It depends on where the computer came from. If the computer came with a memcal, then they probably sent yours back complete. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... Here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines once again. Join me here, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900-855-560-9900-560-9900. Is that right? Which is right? 855-560-9900 or 560-9900. Either way, whatever works. 220-221. Whatever it is, give us a call. It's a 24-7 phone number. It's there for you to use and utilize as you see fit. Uh, recent commentary, a recent article, I just going to make a comment about. It was in the news last night that they're predicting in the next 10 years, there's going to be a shortage of 175,000 over-the-road truckers. Did anybody, did anybody hear about this? There's going to be a shortage of 18-wheeler, 18-wheel truck drivers. They're predicting a shortage of up to 175,000 truck drivers. And I said to myself, if we're that short on drivers, how short are we going to be on mechanics to actually fix them? And that becomes a problem. Of course, by then, all the mechanics that were working on automobiles will have moved over to the trucking business because everybody's going to be driving in or everybody's going to be owning a driverless car. We won't need mechanics. We'll just rebuild them like we did slot cars back in the 60s where we pop things out and pop things in and no more excessive diagnostics and moving parts. So, But just, um, boy, the world is changing awful fast. I want to talk about the repair of the week this week. We haven't done it in a while, and I had a good one this week, and I want to kind of Discuss a little bit about pinouts, not pinups. Tony, down. I want. To, I don't want to discuss pinups. I want to discuss pinouts. All right. Pinning out a component is when you're doing a diagnosis, trying to figure out what's wrong with the vehicle, and you need to understand what all the wires do. Well, how does that component operate? What makes it tick? Had a 2000 Toyota Avalon, and I put this video up on Facebook if you want to get out to the Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor Facebook page. Put this video up there, and you'll see it in its entirety. But basically, it came down to the problem was there are four buttons on this master power window switch for this 2000 Avalon. The driver's window worked fine. Auto up, auto down, no problem. So looking at a wiring diagram, right off the bat, I can take the driver's window wiring out of the equation. It's got nothing to do with my problem. If I push any one of the other buttons from the driver's door master switch, those windows don't work. They don't go up or down. There are two buttons left. There is a lockout button that disables the power window system so that the other windows don't work. And there is a door lock button that runs the door locks, the power door locks. Now, of course, naturally, my first thought is let's take a look at this master on-off switch. How does it How does it work? Now, there is a 12-volt wire, a 12-volt feed coming in on pin 8 on this particular car that 
you can watch the state of change to see, you know, is it zero or is it 12 volts? And, you know, when it's when it's off, you're going to see 12 volts on that circuit because you've lost your ground leg. And sure enough, zero, 12 volts, zero, 12 volts. So that button did work. That wasn't my problem. That left me with four powers, four 12-volt feeds, which I went through all of them. And the ground, the ground was on the black-white trace coming off the back of the switch, and that provided ground for the entire switch. I had ground. As a matter of fact, when I measured for voltage, I went off the ground, the ground being on one side and my hots on the other. I knew when I had power at the four hots, the four wires coming in to power the switch, that's not my problem. I'm down to two wires as I pin out this power window switch on this 2000 Toyota Avalon. I'm down to two wires. I've got a red-yellow, and I've got a green. The green goes over towards the passenger side power window master switch, because they've got one on that door, and the red-yellow goes to the body computer. Now, the way this works, this is early, this is what I consider early controlled area network, can data bus stuff. It's data bus, data packets, where you'll see, my engineer's going to get excited in a minute, you'll see data blips, you'll see 0 to 12 volts four or five times, boop, 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 on a scope screen. And then you'll see a flat line, and then you'll see more boop, 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 of data blips. And that tells you that there's communication or there's something going on on that line. Here's the problem. It's a 2000 car. We've got no scan tool communication. There's no way for me to look at the body computer to see what those blips are doing or if they're even reaching the body computer. The only way I can do that would be to go to the BCM, which is under the dash on the left side, not in a great spot, and tap into the other side of that red-yellow wire. Am I seeing the same blips? So that's not out of the question, but that's not something I really want to look forward to because it's in a really bad spot. Do I want to go over to the passenger side power window switch? And check and see, is the wire got continuity there? And if it doesn't, do I want to just run a wire right across the interior of the car, make the connection and see if the windows work? Because this was early data bus stuff. This was this was way back when they were thinking, well, I guess someday we're going to make everything talk to everything else. And, you know, this is how it all started. And I said, no, I don't want to do that either. I knew I had data. I knew I had signal. Right, my my two wires that were left as I'm pinning out this switch, the only two that were left were showing me signs of voltage. Now, one thing you have to remember when you do this, and I talk about this in the video on Facebook, because I've got data signal on both wires doesn't make both circuits good. The signal could be coming in on one wire and going out on the other. I don't necessarily know which way the electrons are going to flow or why. I just know that they're there, and there's nowhere you're going to find this information unless I happen to find another 2,000 Avalon and start cutting wires and figuring out what's going where, and what's the practicality of that. The point of this is, and this is what makes it kind of interesting, here's a case where you've got to weigh out dollars. You've got to weigh dollars against time spent, against age of the vehicle, against customer wishes. It was a $647 switch, 650 bucks for a power window switch. 
Well, I'm kind of laughing because I've got a lab scope hooked up to a power window switch to diagnose it, a lab scope. And I'm saying to myself, this used to be, you know, up, down, change polarity, change, change which way the motor ran, and the window would go up or down. It's just like, wow, look at what we're doing. In the end... Like Spock, and I think I was wrong in that. I said I said Star Trek three. I think it was Star Trek four. Somebody corrected me. Star Trek four, where they had to get back from nineteen sixty eight San Francisco. They had to get back to the future. Was it four? Tony says it was four. And Spock really wasn't sure about the time space calculations. And Kirk said, "Spock, give me your best guess." And guess, Captain, it's not in my nature. And I know that'll make next week's previews. And Tom, are you listening? And as Spock guessed, and he was right, I guessed I was right. I said, let's put the 600 something dollar power window switch in it. Because what are your choices? The BCM, last time I did one, was 1400 bucks. The wiring issue could be, where's the broken wire in the 18-year-old car? Or is it something in G you hope for? You know, you, ne- you, never, you never sat and hoped so hard that it would be only a $650 part. Okay? I would be so happy just to spend the 650 bucks for this guy. And the point here is that technology has made it better in some cases. And you only have to miss the technology to realize how bad you miss it and how much you need it in that sense. Because to be able to have been, to have been able to gone in there with a scan tool and look at data stream and look at signal switches and you know to see what we're seeing and what we want to see. Um, would have definitely made a uh, would have definitely made it a lot easier, but it, it's it's one of the upticks for uh, newer vehicles. I see Mr. Ray has wandered over to the microphone. He's either turning me off or he's got a comment. I'm just curious, what is so special about this switch that makes it six hundred and fifty dollars? Tom, I I took it apart because I had to take it apart. Um, you know, I took it apart as I would anything else, and I sprayed some contact cleaner, which started this. All right. Was the customer told me during the check in process that the window was left open a little bit and the switch got wet. But and then he sat there with a hairdryer trying to dry the switch. Now, I looked at the interior. There was no burn marks. It's not like I saw places of the interior melted from the hairdryer that he overheated it. But I said, well, maybe something got on the contacts of the switch. Maybe something got on the circuit board, created an issue. Once I diagnosed into that 85, 90 percentile where I'm thinking this is a switch, I took the switch all apart, and I've got to tell you, it was all ensconced in rubber, all right? This thing was, this thing just, nothing could get through. This this thing was just impenetrable, all right? And I, I sprayed it with contact cleaner, and I dried it off, and I put it together. No change. But it's basically, it's probably an inch by five inches long it's got a ton of chips on it it actually had some chips on it from amd i was looking at the names so it had it had some really high-tech stuff on it for a power window switch okay so so the thing actually has some brains to it and has some has some things going on there's some logistics and logic and that kind of explains it because i i'm looking at a switch right and and listen i'm more amazed that you could still buy the switch assembly because the car is 18 years old. As a matter of fact, Toyota had it in stock. So that tells me two things. One, 
their their cars really do last a long time because they're they're still selling parts for these things to justify the existence. And number two, people believe in the product because they're still buying six hundred and fifty dollars switches for Toyotas that are eighteen years old. <laughs> um, you know, and not for nothing. Okay, maybe it fits more than one model year car, but still, uh, you know, it's still a fifteen sixteen year old part in my eyes. But anyway, that fixed it. Pinning out does work. Um, it's something that mechanics have been doing for years and years, and uh, it's something that we'll probably continue to do for many more, but we're going to have to upgrade our scopes from what uh, recent conversations I've had with some people. So I just thought I would share that with you, and it, it, it was the switch, and we, we ended up fixing the car as uh, we usually do. 855-560-9900, Ron and Andy, the car doctor. I'm running a little late this segment. Let me pull over and take the pause. I'll be back right after this to take your calls. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. You know, just some uh, quick commentary. We were talking about, um, you know, Hurricane Harvey and, and, and its effect. Uh, I found the article I was looking for. USA Today is talking about up to one million cars and trucks may have damaged cars in the Houston area. So it's 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 staggering. You know, we don't realize it, but you look at what these people are going through. You know, the water is just over the roof of the cars. The water is just carrying cars away. There was a, a, a picture of a fellow driving on a road. He got swept into a, into a drainage ditch, and they had to rescue him. And the vehicle just, it was an F-150. The vehicle just floated away off off into the wild blue like goodbye. Um, so now they're thinking, you know, up to a million vehicles may have been ruined along the Texas Gulf Coast, according to this article. Um, and data firm, automotive data firm Black Book. In the Houston area, about one in seven cars may have been destroyed, said Evercore, an investment banking advisory and research firm. So what you've got to realize is to make up that million cars, uh, you know, and to find them. But the concern is, what are you going to do? And you've got to be careful. And this is really the point of this uh, statement that I think we've all got to be a little careful buying used cars. Where do they come from? And, you know, they can do a lot to make a car appear dry. You know, it's pull the carpet, and, and but it's there's a lot they can do. You've got to be careful. You've got to know from whom you're buying, and you've got to look at their reputation. And um, it's really going to be buyer beware and due diligence. One of the things I always look at when I'm looking at a car, and I want to see if I've, I've got a concern about flood, is I will open the trunk. Open the trunk or the spare tire well and look in there because you will see the water line, all right? Whereas they always remember to clean the interior. They'll clean the interior, the carpet, the seats, the door panels, and so forth. But to clean the water line in the trunk, eh, they don't necessarily always do that. So you want to take a look at that. But I would be... It would be too simple to say, hey, watch out for cars down south. You know, they water cars from Harvey because, uh, listen... You could be in Colorado and get a Harvey water car because they'll ship cars. They'll put them on a train and they'll bring them all over the country. So I think all of us um, have to do some due diligence and and just to be aware and and keep an eye on what it is that we're buying before we buy it because um, we we could have some problems. Um, But in any event, uh, article from Anthony Emilio. I want to talk about this too. We started this conversation a while ago. Um, Anthony out in Chicago. He's my he's my guy on the ground. Um, we were talking a little bit ago about people are buying and shifting more into leasing, um, and and the conversation was 4.3 million cars are leased in 2016, which when we talked to Paul Eisenstein, he said, yeah, that number is accurate, but it also doesn't take into a, into account other factors 
that, you know, the way the banks report it and the way some of the car companies report it. So there's more than 4 million vehicles being leased, uh, you know, in the country right now. But um, it, the article also goes on to talk about how car manufacturers are happy as leasing brings a steady stream of customers into dealerships more often. One of the things you got to remember about leasing is leasing is just another form of financing the vehicle. And as we talk about Harvey and flood cars and being aware of what it is we're buying, we've, we've got to be aware that maybe that lease looks viable, but the problem becomes, you know, is that what we really want and can we afford it long term? I was thinking about something today. I, I was looking at a price tag on a new Chevy Suburban. A new Suburban is somewhere in the area of $72,000. What does that look like on a payment book if you were going to buy it? What are you are you putting fifty grand down and financing thirty two thousand dollars? And what does that look like? How much of a monthly payment is that? Seven oh, that's Tony says too much. Seven eight hundred dollars? I you know, over what time frame, but still. Um, cars are just getting too darn expensive. Lease payments, the article continues, are calculated based on the car's cost and negotiated just as new car purchase would be. At the end of the three years, the leaseholder drops off the car and starts the process anew. Which is another problem and something you have to be aware of. Are you ready to do that? You know, cars are a lifestyle. I've said that for years. But you've got to decide, are you ready to Are you ready to just always have a payment? And is, is that something you're looking forward to? But the other thing I always bring up when I start thinking about leasing and I read these articles is, are you ready to understand what auto repair is? Are you ready to understand that process? And judging by some of the reactions, I don't think you are. I think a lot of you are afraid of auto repair, and I'm, I'm hoping that's what we're doing here. That's what we help you with, um, because we, you know, we're, we're that, that's our job. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but just, you know, leasing. This year, Lexus said 65 percent of its car sales have been leases, up from 61 a year earlier. Those these those rates those rates these rates. Those rates put Lexus among Infiniti, BMW, and Audi as automakers with the highest leasing rates. Leasing is always a good thing for us because it helps us retain customers, said David Goldberg of Lexus. So uh, things to think about. We'll be back right after this. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron Anini, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. I just want to finish this article, and then I've gotten a couple of emails from you, so we'll go to those uh, in reaction to it. Um, lease payments are calculated. We talked about that. Leasing is especially popular among popular among luxury car shoppers who, in addition to wanting the latest and greatest technology, also don't want an old car. You know, that's true. I think people, uh, again... Cars are a lifestyle, right? It's a status thing. Someone brought me a 2016 Ford uh, Fusion yesterday to look at, a used vehicle they were buying. It had 15,000 miles on it. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised. This person, uh, it wasn't a flashy car. It was, a, it was A to B transportation. And it still had, you know, air conditioning and power options and satellite radio. And you look at it and you say, how much more do you need? What else do you have to stuff into the vehicle? And, um, you know, that becomes an issue, too. This year, Lexus said, this is where we were, 65% of its sales have been leases up from 61%. 
those those rates put among BMW, Infiniti, and Audi. Leasing is good for us because it helps us retain customers, said David Goldberg, Lexus, Lexus sales and production planning manager. Goldberg says when a customer leases a Lexus, the person typically ends up leasing another Lexus because a connection has been made with the brand. Some dealers charge a fee for lessees who don't stick with the brand once the lease is up. Yeah, you know, and that's they're there to make money, I guess. The dealers are just, you know, coming up with new and creative ways to, you know, to finance and, and, and incentives. Lexus introduced or introduces a new gadgets and features with each new series to keep lessees coming back. The latest models feature a panoramic view mirror, which uses four cameras to create a bird's eye view, 360 degree view to eliminate blind spots, to eliminate Blind spot. Oh, in the mirror. That's what they're talking about. Okay. The years ahead will bring more rapid development as automakers manufacture greener cars and turn their attention to semi and fully autonomous vehicles. The rate of change in cars is quicker, and the outcome of that is a lot of new features, said Jessica Caldwell, senior analyst at Edmonds. This month, yeah, this is where we got this from. This month, Volvo announced that all new models starting in 2019 will come equipped with an electric motor, making it the first traditional super the first traditional automaker to supplement or replace all of its combustion engine with electrification. I just don't see it. I don't see how we're going to have the infrastructure and the support system, but um, God bless them. They say they're going to do it. Uh, The article then goes on that nearly a third of all millennials leased instead of bought in 2016. See, I think it's an age group thing. I think the millennials think that not the, not the, you know, typecast an entire generation, but I think the millennials tend to think that cars are just too expensive to fix. And, and why fix it? Just just go buy another one. Um, you know, how much could it take? And oh, Life is the great equalizer. From Thomas Burke, Ron, regular listener of the show. First, let me state, let me first state that the late 70s, I have been a fan of buying extended warranties, whether I buy a used car or a new car. The reason I do that is if you can get the price of the car down, 1500 to two grand. there's no better investment than the car itself. Really? I don't think. Well, I don't know if I. I don't know if I consider cars a good investment. Um, I would have to say that. Well, it's a it's a hole you throw money in. It's like a boat. Um, on the cars that I have bought this way, five of seven needed repairs that were as much as or more than the cost of the warranty. And second, as an accountant, aha, uh-huh, I knew this guy was counting money somewhere. Um, second, as an accountant, I like the idea of making double monthly payments, say a four hundred dollar car payment or a five hundred dollar repair for an AC unit. I do feel that leasing a vehicle is only a good idea if you can write a major part of the monthly payments. Like if you're a salesman and more than 60 to 75% of your driving is business. One exception, in 1997, I leased a new Saturn just to see if I liked it, and I did. I did so. So I negotiated a great buyout with the warranty, of course. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, a, a different perspective, but, you know, the leasing concept is there. It just comes down to dollars. It comes down to what are we trying to accomplish and uh, for how much, and that that just plays a huge part in how we want to deal with automobiles and the technology that goes along there. Hey, um, you know, just for those of you out there driving, recent bulletin came out, and I've seen a few of these, so I wanted to mention it because it seems to be coming becoming a, uh, I won't say a hot button, but um, it's getting to be common. If you're driving a General Motors 2.5 liter with you know a little four cylinder, and that's in a lot of their vehicles you may be seeing a fault code P0411, which is caused by bad fuel. You know, fuel is creating havoc. It's playing havoc with these vehicles. Um, this article goes on. This may be caused by using inferior fuel, creating restrictions in the secondary air injection ports, or SAI, in the cylinder head, resulting in higher than expected operating temperatures. 
if the ports are diagnosed as the cause, they can be cleaned using, and they talk about some carbon cleaning. And I'm going to tell you, they can also be used, they can also be cleaned with Berryman uh, fuel system additive, you know, more at BerrymanProducts.com because this is the kind of stuff they're exactly talking about. All right. Um, there are secondary airports in between the exhaust manifolds, and they're talking about those ports getting clogged, not allowing air to reach the manifold, and thereby also reach the oxygen sensor um, and show measurement there as well. So um, just a case for you know, doing carbon cleaning, and we're, we're back to that, that it's just, it's just that important. So um, just be mindful of that. We can get rid of that. We can get rid of that. Last comment this segment. Flashback. Uh, we are in September. At the end of this month, their sale ends. There's a $25 rebate on all flash pack tuners from the folks over at Superchips. Um, you can get out to their website, superchips.com, for more information. But just be aware that if you're thinking of, and I hate to say it, but early holiday gifts, oh, my gosh, um, early Christmas or otherwise gifts, you can uh, do one of these on, uh, buy these. There's a $25 rebate going on now through September 30th. And uh, more information is available at superchips.com. So um, uh, just just be mindful of that. Let's pull over and take the pause. 855-560-9900. We'll get back to the phones when we return. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. Thanks for joining us this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's get on over and talk to Al in La Crosse, Wisconsin, 99 Ranger. Al, welcome to The Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Uh, how you doing? Good, sir. What's uh, up? Yeah, I've got a, uh, a problem with the uh, windshield wiper taking off. I don't know if I need an exorcist or a mechanic because it uh, starts in all by itself and then it quits after a while. And about two weeks later, the windshield wiper kick in again and start working. And I didn't even flip the switch. So they're so, uh, they're, they're, they're just they're just going on and off by themselves. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, has anybody tried to diagnose this? Any dashboard warning lights on? Anything else going on with the vehicle? Well, we got uh, yeah, the dashboard light is on all the time. Check engine. Yeah, that's and that's not that's not necessarily going to be related. Where I would where I would go with this, you probably have a bad uh, multifunction switch. All right, for the wipers themselves, they were very common to fail. There's several things you can do to diagnose it. Uh, you know, here we are. All right, it's how deep do we want to get? Um, but what I would tell you, what I would tell you, you've got to at least do is somebody's got to pull the column covers down and take a look at the wiring, and you want to pin out the switch. You want to look for power and ground, and then look for signal coming out of the switch. If that's if that switch is putting out a signal in the off position, then the switch itself is shorted internally and it's failing. So what your mechanic could do is figure out which one of the I think there's 14 wires there, or which one of those wires is going to trigger the Wiper motor, wire okay. wire in a side marker bulb. You know what a side like a one ninety four side. You know what a one ninety four side marker bulb is, Al? Uh, no, I don't. Little tiny bulb like you would use in the front side markers for directional or blinker. And you oh, know, okay. you can get out to an O'Reilly. You got an O'Reilly Auto Parts near you? Yes. You can get out to an O'Reilly Auto Parts buy a one ninety four bulb and a one ninety four bulb socket. Sit down with a wiring diagram, break it out. Have your mechanic wire that bulb in so that if you turn the wipers on, that bulb would light. In other words, put it on the signal wire going out to the wiper motor, right? Okay. Now leave the wipers off. Leave the bulb connected. If that bulb gets lit without you turning the switch on, 
right. the switch is shorted. You just you okay. you just prove that switch bad. That switch is providing power to the wiper motor without being turned on. Okay. Um, all right. The other thing I was thinking of was the uh, the body uh, the body computer. Could be. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you to do a complete vehicle scan to look at all the modules to see you know and and on a Ford it's a gem module or it should be a gem module generic electronic mm-hmm. right. module. Um, take a look right. at the, take a look at the gem module. See what that's doing. And you're right; they're they're providing signal to that. But again, now now the other side of this is if the wipers go off, and you've got a bulb wired into the output signal of the switch, and that bulb right. is not lit, but the wipers are working. Now we've got to look for something right. else that's triggering those wipers. And yes, maybe it is the gem. Maybe the gem is tripping the uh, system and turning it on. Okay. There, there, there's All no, right. there's, there's no simple answer for that one. Now, the other thing you could do, is or your mechanic could do, is to plug in a scan tool. How much scan tool data or how much body module data can you read on a scan tool? Can you show request for wiper, uh, intermittent, high, low, etc.? What will the scan tool tell you probably if it? Not. Right. Yeah, probably not. Well, ninety nine. Ninety nine, you know, that's kind of primitive stuff. But the fact that it's got a gem module, I wouldn't put it past it. Ford was ahead of their time with a lot of that stuff twenty years ago. Yeah, I had a problem with an old Windstar like that. That, that everything was going crazy. The windshield, windows are go up and down. The windshield, the wipers are going this and that way, and everything. It turned out to be a turned out to be a gem module. Right, and it, it it could be. But if you want to diagnose it using the bulb method. Um, you know, would be would be the way to go just to just to pin it out. Well, because it's hard for you to you know you can you're not going to drive around with a voltmeter and you're not going to be able to get out at that moment on the highway. Um, we right. we will at times wire up two to three bulb sockets. Again, all available at O'Reilly Auto Parts, and right. you know, okay. we we will wire up two to three bulb sockets and stick different colored bulbs in the socket. Customer will come in and they'll say, "Well, the red one went off, or the blue one went off, or the white one went off," and we'll know we'll know what circuit we were about, or this one was on, this one was off. Uh, you know, using bulbs to diagnose circuit faults is is not anything new, but it's I don't see it a lot or done as nearly as much as it was ten years ago. It seems like we're counting more and more on scan tools, which is okay. But if this car doesn't have scan tool data for it, then we're we're, we're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, the other thing is that um, the check engine light. Uh, I run through some uh, uh, mass airflow stuff and the, and put some uh, carburetor cleaner in there, and it didn't seem to change much. Do you know so what? You think that's the well? Do you know what fault Pardon? code it is? Do you know what fault code it is, Al? Uh, yeah, I think it came out. Uh, well, we didn't. We went to a local parts store, and I think it was uh, uh, the uh, computer. Or this, the uh, what do you call it thing? Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Wait. P zero P zero one seven one one seven four. I haven't got the number right off hand, but uh, anyway, uh, I can't recall that. But anyway, is he? Uh, it sounds kind of me like it's the uh, the mass or not the mass airflow, but the O uh, uh, two sensor. Yeah, the O two sensor. It sounds like the oxygen sensor might be bad, but. Okay. Well, yeah, it depends on what you know. What code do we have? All right. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it sounds yeah. it it sounds like you're getting some sort of a fuel trim uh, mixture or fault code. 
Um, so I'll tell you what. Here, th- let me do this out. Let me pull over and take this pause. Don't go away. When I come back, I'll give you some detailed information on looking, and I'll, I'll, I'll make a fuel trim diagnostic expert out of you in two minutes, all right? So you, you, you stick around, and I'll come back and do that. I'm Ron Eating the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Eating the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 number. Call, leave a message, and Motorhead Matt will be glad to put you in the next live show and uh, get you up here. We're on Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. on the network. And don't forget, if you're looking for podcasts of this Car Doctor radio show, get out to Spreaker. Dot com and you'll find more information about that at our website, cardoctorshow.com. Al, LaCrosse, Wisconsin, you're still there, sir? Yes, sir. So uh, on the assumption, dangerous word, especially here on family radio, that this is some sort of a fuel trim code you're describing to me with O2 sensors and all, is, is, this, right. is this a V6 or a four-cylinder Ranger? It's a V6. Okay. So we've, we've, got, right, we've got two banks to this engine, right? A, a, a bank one, bank two. Depending right. depending upon what fault code this is, if this is an oxygen sensor heater fault, the, the tests are very specific, and they generally prove out to be heaters because the heater circuits in the O2s actually go bad. But if this is fuel trim related, the way the way I want to explain fuel trim to you is, um, or let me ask you, do you do you understand fuel trim, Al, or is it is it Greek to you at this point? No, yeah, pretty much Greek. Okay. Um, did you take uh, did you take geometry and algebra and all that stuff in high school? Yep. Okay. Yes, sir. Remember remember the x y axis with zero in the middle and then it had negative numbers and positive numbers on that on that timeline. Yes, sir. Okay. So zero is a balanced fuel mixture. All right. If the engine yep. if the engine is running lean and it needs more fuel, we're going to start to add numbers on that timeline. We're going to creep up to p- plus four, plus five, plus ten plus 20 percent all right if the engine is right. if the engine is running rich they can't add oxygen but they can take away fuel so we look at the zero or the negative side to the left of that zero in that timeline and we'll see negative one negative two negative 20 negative 25 percent we're subtracting fuel so that right. that being said Engines are either adding or subtracting fuel all the time. It just depends to what level and specification. Most okay. most modern engines will run fuel trim somewhere in the neighborhood of five to fifteen percent on a regular basis, but not to exceed. And when I say that, it's done as a combination of short term fuel trim. What's here in the here and now? What are we doing right now? Right now? Right now? And long term, which is which is history, what did we do twenty minutes ago? What did we do two hours ago? That's long term. That's history. Five to fifteen percent. We'll we'll use as a number. We start getting beyond fifteen percent total fuel trim, and we reach the potential of setting a fault code and turning on a check engine light. So when you start to diagnose this, you want to look at a scan tool. What do the fuel trims show you side to side? Is one side leaner or richer than the other? How far off is it? Two to three percent doesn't bother me. If one side is 20 percent positive and the other side is zero, I'm looking for something that's affecting that one side. Maybe I've got a bad O2. Maybe I've got a vacuum leak for that side. Maybe I've got an injector issue. But that's basic fuel trim diagnosis, steps 101 to take. Get a scan tool, get the code back. We'll go from there. I'm on an the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Everybody. 